Welcome to the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series, where your host, Andy Jacob, interviews leading entrepreneurs, founders, and CEOs about their incredible companies and discusses their unique entrepreneurial journeys. If you're the CEO or founder of an exciting and exceptional company, the editorial team of Dotcom Magazine welcomes you to pitch your business story to appear on this exciting interview series by reaching out to Mr. Jacob at Dotcom Magazine at dotcommagazine.com. And without further ado, here is another amazing entrepreneurial story on the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. Hello, everyone. Andy Jacob here with the Dotcom Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series. I have a fascinating show today, such an important show. You know, when it comes to health, everybody that watches the show knows that our entire team is so interested in all the sort of important things that are happening in terms of healthy living, in terms of biopharmaceuticals in term of how we can manage some of the big problems and challenges and diseases that we have in the world today. And in my own life, you know, I've been affected, my, my, my family has been affected by both breast cancer and prostate cancer. I have people in my family that have had both of those types of cancers. And let me tell you, it's a, it's a, tough, it's a tough thing but thank goodness we have people like my guest and his company in the world who are doing so many important things to really develop novel medicines that can really manage, and in this particular case for this company, prostate cancer and breast cancer. I've been able to invite on the show, and I'm very honored to have Dr. Mitchell Steiner. And Mitchell is the chairman, CEO, and president of Viru, and you probably know about Viru. They're an oncology biopharmaceutical company that are doing such great things. They have their focus, of course, in prostate cancer and breast cancer. And Mitchell, I just wanted to welcome you to the show and say hello, and thank you so much for coming on the .com Magazine Entrepreneur Spotlight Series today. Great, well, thank you. It's a privilege to be here, and, and I'm looking forward to our discussion. Well, thank you, Mitchell. Listen, what you're doing at Viru is so important. You know, what you're doing with focusing on developing these medicines to help so many people throughout the world is so awesome. But before we get started, now I also want to get into your entrepreneurial journey as well, because it's so interesting. Let's pull the lens back like we always do on the show. And let's sort of give us a baseline about Viru and what's it all about. And then we'll get into it together. Sure. That's very good. So thank you. So Viru, as you said, is a biopharmaceutical company. We're focused on the two most prevalent cancers, and that's breast cancer and prostate cancer. So it's not a surprise that your family has been affected either by a loved one or a friend, and, uh, and, and because they are the most common. Uh, with that said, our, our focus has been to come up with novel agents, drugs, drug candidates that have the ability to treat the disease, but have a side effect profile that is different than IV chemotherapy, for example. So these are oral agents, they can be given chronically. And the idea is that we're treating patients 
so, so that uh, it's a chronic treatment, if you will. So can we convert these bad diseases to one in which uh, people can live with the disease as opposed to dying from the disease? And we know that's happening both in prostate and breast because the death rates are going down and people are living longer, but they really don't want, now the challenge is they don't want IV chemo. They don't want the toxicity of IV chemo. So they really want something that's going to be gentler and, and, and quality of life is so important. So we're kind of dedicated to that. And we have two compounds, one called Sabizabulin and the other one's called Anobisarm that achieves that both in prostate cancer and breast cancer. And, and we've been able to do that which is unique for a biotech company like ourselves by having a base sexual health business that generates revenue. And that revenue we've been investing in the uh, drug development programs. And we've reached a point now that we have, uh, you know, six or seven late stage programs uh, that are being funded almost completely off uh, our base business. So that's a unique model because, you know, in biotech and biopharma, it's capital intensive and you have to keep raising money. And so we've been very, very fortunate. We did do a nice raise this year. But we haven't touched it. <laughs> Most of the resources have come from what we've generated. So I think that's kind of unique. It's so unique and it's so important. And for the entrepreneurs watching the show, check out you know what Dr. Steiner is doing with the company. I mean, it's really remarkable that you've got this sexual health business that sort of funds the the. The other business, which is, you know, finding these great uh, compounds that can help with the different types of cancers. And one thing that I found out during my journey with my family is that prostate cancer is one of the most commonly diagnosed cancers in men with, I think, over 200,000 new cases and, and 30,000 deaths expected, you know, this year alone. So one in nine men will develop prostate cancer in their lifetime. So we need Viru, and we knew what you're doing. So when we think about sort of the process, you've got this baseline company, uh, this baseline product, this baseline service that sort of funds the rest of the company. How did you come up with that strategy? Because from an entrepreneurial standpoint, that's a remarkable strategy. Well, it's because uh, I had a former company uh, called GTX and uh, founded that company in 1997. Uh, we took the company public in 2004, and the uh, and the company had, uh, the company's goal was to come up with men's health products and oncology products. And the lesson I learned from that experience is that if you don't have a revenue producing product, uh, and because this business is capital intensive upfront, then you're in a situation where you're beholden to the markets. And as you can tell from what we've been living with the last 18 months, the markets are really uh, finicky. And, uh, and skittish. And it has nothing to do with biotech. It has to do with whether China decided that they want to you know, take over an imaginary island in the Pacific uh, or, you know, you know, Biden makes the wrong move or whatever. It change, you know, inflation goes up. There's so many factors in the macro that will put downward pressure on stocks, which means raising money, you're going to be diluting your, your company. So the idea was uh, the second time around, and, and Harry Fish and myself co-founded Viru, the idea was to find a company that had revenue and can we improve that revenue? And so that company was called a female health company and they acquired a private company that Harry and I put together. And, uh, and the, and the uh, resultant uh, merged companies or resultant company, I should say, uh, is now Viru. And so we took the revenue at that point 
Uh, the revenue is about $13.7 million, and in the U.S. it was about $100,000. It wasn't a lot of money. And, uh, and this year, already with just three quarters below us, and we're a fiscal year, you know, we've approached close to 45 million. And so it looks like for this year, we're going to, you know, we're going to blow it away. And the margins are like 82%, which means that gross profits about 82%. What that means is all that money can now be put into drug development. And so what we're essentially doing is investing that money in ourselves to go after that billion dollar opportunity opportunities, as opposed to having to go out there and dilute the shareholder and, and end up, you know, keep raising money. So what ends up happening is that poor shareholder goes down here unless they keep buying to get prorated. And so it's and, and Harry and I, you know, public records will show we're significant shareholders. And so we really, really run the company like we're an owner. And that means the way you think of the world is completely different. The risk you're willing to take is completely different. And if you can look at our past performance over the last five years, you can see that, that that's, you know, it's really translated into a, a nice share price, a nice market cap, and it's just the beginning. Well, I love it. And in the old days, we used to call it putting your money where your mouth is. And in that, in the case of you and Harry, that's what you're doing. I mean, let's talk about prostate cancer management just for a second. I mean, you mentioned the billion dollar opportunity. You know, I know you're developing, I believe, three drugs right now. Could you sort of give us an idea of where we're at with the drugs and sure. you know, address the large potential market relating to prostate cancer and prostate cancer supportive care. Sure. So you mentioned we have three drugs in development. That's just for prostate cancer. And so in prostate cancer, let's just start out with the concept of metastatic disease. Metastatic disease is the disease that leaves, uh, you know, the local prostate and spreads to the bone and places like that. People die not from what's happening in the prostate, but what's happening when the tumor spreads. So really, we're going after metastatic disease. And so one of our products is called Vera 100. It's a GnRH antagonist. What that means, it shuts off testosterone rapidly. It's an injection, and you, and, and you can take that injection every three months. And what makes it different than what's out there today is what's out there today is a drug that when you give the shot, it actually raises testosterone for, before it drops it. And, and that, of course, can put the patient at risk. So it turns out in prostate cancer, unlike any other cancers, once you start this therapy, this castration therapy, you keep it forever. You never come off of it. So even if you add other drugs, so your first foundation mainstay of therapy is this castration therapy. And we're calling it Vera 100. It's a $2.9 billion market worldwide. That's going to be our first play. Okay. That's in phase two right now. We'll be in phase three uh, early next year. And, uh, and that is, that is, you know, the real strong foundation. Then it also turns out that patients get side effects from drugs when you castrate. When you castrate a male, there's no testosterone. 80% get hot flashes. They lose bone and get osteoporosis and fractures. Uh, they can't sleep at night. I mean, so the problem is they have side effects. And the reason they have side effects is when you lose testosterone, the only place we make estrogen from is testosterone is men. No estrogen, you get hot flashes just like a woman, postmenopausal woman. And so we have a drug called zuclomiphene. That's in phase two, had a positive phase two, and we're moving it forward uh, to optimize the dose. And what it does, it's an oral medicine that can treat those side effects and actually protect bone. So that one is in development. 
But then it gets even more interesting. It turns out, and when I was in my residency, I'm a urologist by training, a prostate cancer expert. When we told somebody they had metastatic disease, they had 18 months to live. Now it's almost like 15 to 20 years. And so that means your body has been without testosterone for that period of time. And, but it's still the way we treat it. So the way you first treat a patient is we castrate them with medicine. Second thing you do is you give them, when they fail, fail means that tumor starts to progress. Then you have to treat them with something called an androgen receptor targeted agent. We call it ARDA. And all it does is squeezes that testosterone even lower. And when a patient breaks through that, the only thing they have left is IV chemotherapy. So we said, no, no, we need to come in with a different mechanism that has a profile, a, sa a, a safety profile, like uh, giving somebody an ARDA, which, which is a very favorable safety profile, and, uh, and not a safety profile like chemotherapy, where you have loss of white cells called neutropenia, and you lose your hair, and you know, all those things and neurotoxicity. We don't want that quite yet. As I mentioned in my opening comments, the whole goal is to take this patient on a journey where you keep the metastatic disease under control, but don't hit them so hard they don't have a quality of life. So sabizabulin is that agent. It's a novel oral agent. Chronic administration is feasible and the patient takes it every day, every day. And what we're finding in our phase 1B2 study is that patients can take it for quite a while. And because it has a different mechanism, uh, you can give it right after they fail. You keep the ADT and you give it right after they, they, they progress on an, on, on, on an artery and before chemotherapy. So that is now in a phase three registration study. And that phase three registration study is going on in 45 sites in the United States. And, um, and the idea is we can get that space. That's a huge market. Right now, the Arter medicines are about a six to $8 billion worldwide market. And when you fail that, you go to IV chemo. They don't really die, thank God, but they're failing it and they could die. And that's where we come in. So if that's the market you have now. And we, can, and we can be the solution for a $6 billion market. It's not a $100 million market. It's going to be a big market. So that's what I meant by saying we take our money, we invest our money in something like this, in a compound we own, so in an indication that's really, really strong. So, so in prostate cancer, in summary, we're treating the disease itself with, with an andro, better androgen deprivation therapy. We're treating the disease after they, after they fail all these agents and before chemotherapy. And we're treating the side effects of hot flashes, which is the most prevalent side effect that men get. So the journey is more comfortable. You have more effective drugs. And we're part of that journey. Now, with that said, and as exciting as that is, we really had a very interesting year, almost to a point that we had to pivot. And where we've pivoted to is in breast cancer. And we didn't expect it. It just turns out, you know, in drug development, you go where your drugs take you. So it turns out in breast cancer, this is really, really interesting. In breast cancer, we always talk about the estrogen receptor because in breast cancer, uh, the estrogen receptor is treated just like we treat the androgen receptor in prostate cancer. So all drugs are kind of based on that. And in breast cancer, uh, uh, just like in men, almost the same as you mentioned, one in nine, one in eight uh, women will get breast cancer. The, the uh, incidence of breast cancer is about 240,000 new cases a year. The deaths are about 40,000 a year. It sounds almost exactly like prostate cancer. Here's the problem. In prostate cancer, the average age is about 65. Breast cancer, the average age is probably closer in the mid-30s to 40s. So it's much more devastating from a standpoint of life lost and, and you know, losing a mother, a daughter, 
you know, a friend uh, is, 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 I mean, for any of these is horrible for breast cancer is particularly bad. So we came in and, and this is what's so fascinating. And I really think we have a real, and I don't like, you can tell I'm not a hyper, I don't hype, but to be able to have an agent, which we have called a Novasarm that can exploit a receptor that here too, nobody has exploited, uh, we could really make a change. So let me, let me give you some granularity. It turns out, believe it or not, the androgen receptor, yes, the androgen receptor on breast tissue is more prevalent than the estrogen receptor. So why is the androgen receptor on breast tissue? It makes absolutely no sense. Well, you know what? It does. In fact, we see it at work every day. What does that mean? Well, uh, boys and girls are born with breast, with the ability to make breasts. Okay, so why is it that three and a half billion men on earth do not have breasts and, uh, and, and, and the breasts are under control, yet they have the machinery for it? Well, how do you know they have the machinery for it? Someone's, if you take an individual that wants to be assigned to, trans, to a transsexual uh, female, then what you do in that situation is you get rid of testosterone, you add estrogen, and they go grow breasts just like a woman. How is that possible? They have the machinery. So why is it that three and a half billion men don't have that? Well, it turns out that when you stimulate the androgen receptor, it suppresses breast tissue so potently that you're able to keep three and a half billion men with, you know, with a flat chest. And uh, so, so why can't we exploit that and use that powerful force in treating breast cancer? And so if you look at and that's what we're doing. And, uh, and, uh, but the problem with testosterone is not a druggable. If you give a woman straight testosterone, it can get converted to estrogen, and that causes problem. And all these anabolic steroids and stuff, which have been used in the past and showed activity, women get facial hair, they get masculinization, they get acne, they get blood clots, uh, they get a big voice box. It's, it's, it, it, they're not druggable. So Anobisarm is an interesting drug. This is one of our assets. And Anobisarm, what it does, it binds to the angioreceptor in breast tissue, suppresses breast tissue, but it also leaves the skin alone. So you don't get masculinization, facial hair, you don't get blood clots. It's very well tolerated. And then finally, uh, it, you, you, because it's selective, you get some of the beneficial effects of having an anabolic agent, like you build bone, you build muscle. And these poor women being on an estrogen blocking agent for years, they have osteoporosis, they get fractures, they lose muscle. So to be able to replace that, and to date, there has not been a drug approved that, that stimulates the androgen receptor. And it's a hormone agent. So you don't see the diarrhea and alopecia, the hair loss and, and neutropenia. It's incredibly well tolerated. And Inovasarm has been in 25 clinical trials. Over 2,400 patients have been involved with those trials. So we've really de-risked the safety part of it. We ran a fa- we 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 uh, have a phase two study that came from the previous sponsor that shows that it has efficacy and and has good safety. So we do have those studies in breast cancer. And what we've done is we've created a program, a programmatic approach to breast cancer that's really fascinating. What we said was when someone develops breast cancer, and I'm just going to do a little piece of education, the way, you, the way you talk about it is if somebody has metastatic disease, remember we said metastatic disease is what kills the patient. When you treat them for the first time, that's called first line. When they, when they progress after first line, you treat them a second time, it's called second line. If you progress again and you treat them a third time, it's third, third line and subsequent, okay? We have the ability to treat third line and second line uh, with an Obisarm. 
And so we have a study that's open right now called the Artest study. One of the really fascinating things we found is it's not just the presence of the androgen receptor that determines how well a, a patient will respond, but it's how much of it. And just go with it. The number we found is 40%. So if you look at the cancer tissue and 40% of the cells have an androgen receptor, they have the best response to our drug. And so, uh, so we're in third line and we, and that study is called the Artest study. And we have, that's a phase three study. We have a phase two study that looks at patients that are less than 40%, which simply is a virulent. Same one we're using for prostate cancer. Okay. And then in second line, we're doing a combination of abemocyclib, which is CDK46 inhibitor, and a Novus arm again in second line. And, and then hopefully in the future, we'll get closer to the first line. And typically, you start with the sickest patients and you work your way in. So we have, so essentially, we have three programs in, in that patient population, which is ER positive, AR positive disease. And the other group, and then I'll keep quiet, the other group uh, that we're going after is this really unusual, aggressive breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. About 15% of breast cancers are triple negative. That means they have nothing on the surface that you can go after. And as a result, they, they look more like a stem cell and they grow pretty aggressively. And we are going to use uh, Sabizib. By the way, even though they have nothing on the surface, guess what they do have? The androgen receptor. Okay. And so what we're doing is we're going to treat them with Anobasarm and Sabizibulin as a single arm phase two. So that means we have four clinical, significant clinical programs, two phase threes, one phase two B, one phase two in breast cancer and, and pasta. And just trying to remember this is all pre-chemo, it's, it's chronic administration. It's, it's really a, a whole different shift in the paradigm. And, and then in prostate cancer, as I mentioned, we have ADT with Vera 100 that handles the base. Then you have uh, sabizabulin that takes care of patients before they get to chemo. And then you treat the side effects with zuclomiphene. All of those programs are, are being uh, supported uh, in part by our base business. And, th and then we have one unusual program, which I have to for full disclosure tell you about. And that is, it turns out sabizabulin is, has, is an antiviral and an anti-inflammatory agent. So when COVID reared its ugly head two years ago, we started a, a double-blind phase two study. And, and that means the patients we treated were hospitalized patients. So this is very different than the Merck drug and the Pfizer drug that are patients that are pre-hospitalization. There's nothing in the hospitalization space. And so that's where we went. And we showed an 82% relative reduction in mortality, not whether you get in the hospital, not ICU mortality, so we're now in a phase three global study, 300 patients worldwide. And that, that uh, study we hope will be uh, fully enrolled by year end, beginning of next year. And we'll have data in the first half of the year. And you can see how much uh, interest has been in COVID because we know it's not going away. We've got the vaccine under control. It looks like we've got the pre-hospitalization under control, but what do you do with those poor patients who didn't take the pill, didn't take the vaccine, and they're sitting on in the ICU in a ventilator? And that's where we come in. So as you can tell, Vero has got a lot going on. Well, there's a lot to unpack here, Dr. Steiner, that's for sure. I mean, global revenues for oral therapies, for advanced breast cancer, are, I believe over $6 billion. And you mentioned that you sort of had 
maybe an aha moment or something happened where you were working on the prostate cancer, but yes. then you kind of moved it over to the breast cancer as a little yeah. pivot. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, the biggest issue in breast cancer, we were told, is it's very competitive. And uh, what changed that was we ended up having an arm, which we acquired about a year, a year ago, officially. And, uh, and when we acquired it, uh, we were trying to figure out where to put it. And when we decided where to put it, it became so clear that, the, that where we ended up putting it, which in patients that have failed the CDK4-6 inhibitor, in which nothing has been really proven after that, we said, okay, let's, let's do that. But then when we started picking away at it, third line, second line, first line, it became clear to us. And then we had sabizabulin that we were using in prostate cancer. We took a step back. And this, you know, interesting, Jake, this happened recently. We just looked at each other and said, you know what? We got this female uh, sexual health business that's funding our, our programs. And yeah, I, yeah, my background's prostate cancer and Harry's urologist, like I'm a urologist, but can't fight the obvious for our company. And that is, we've got drugs that look like they have real application in breast cancer. And not only in third line, which is later, but also in second line and potentially in first line and earlier. And it's like, you know, by the time you start adding up all the, all the late stage clinical trials and each one of them could be a multi-billion dollar opportunity, you take a step back and say, look, quit fighting it. You really have an opportunity here. And, uh, and so we're, you know, we're doubling down. So meaning that we started out with one phase three and a phase two, and here we are a year later, and we've got at least two phase threes, a phase two B that can be used for file, filing a phase two and triple negative breasts. So, and now we're trying to make a decision that we go even earlier. And the answer is, it feels like we will, we're gonna double down. We've got agents that could really make a big difference and we have to play it out. I love it. And it sounds like a game changer. You know, we talk about meta trends and we talk about game changing events on the show and hopefully God willing, this will be a, a game changer coming from Viru. Now, I would be remiss not to talk about and ask you a question about sort of the main business or the, or the business that's sort of funding the whole thing, the sexual yeah. health business. So let's talk about that because without that, you might not have been able to have done all of these amazing new sort of game-changing new uh, opportunities with regard to, um, you know, breast cancer and prostate cancer. Absolutely. And this is why you have to be opportunistic as an entrepreneur, because the product was one that Harry and I had no clue, but both urologists never heard of. And it's actually a medical device that's a female condom. And the female condom is made of nitrile, like a surgical glove. It has an internal ring that you, almost like a diaphragm that you put in with the sheath and has an external um, covering. So it doesn't fall in, if you will. But that external covering also contributes to the fact that we can prevent uh, unattended uh, pregnancies and transmission of sexually transmitted disease. Turns out there's only two things that can do that female condom and male condoms. Male condoms are a massive $9 billion market. And, and, and in terms of women's condoms, we have the only one, uh, the, practically the only one, the only one approved in the U.S. for sure. Outside the U.S., we've got about 95% market share. And this is a product that, that requires education. And once people know about it, they love it. And so what we decided to do was to figure out how to introduce it into the U.S. market, because prior to that, it was big government tenders, 
Africa and Brazil and millions and millions. And we have a factory in Malaysia that can make up to 100 million of these a year. We have an office in London that gets it to 150 countries across the United States. It, it, they've, been, you know, they've been involved with this for almost 20 years. It's a real product. But in the United States, nobody even knew about it until recently. And I can tell you that what we did is we converted it to a prescription business. And when we took it over, there was zero prescriptions. So that's in 2017, practically none. By the time we got to two years ago, we hit about 75. Last year, excuse me, three years ago, 75,000 prescriptions. Two years ago, it was about uh, 150,000 prescriptions. Last year, it was about 350, 350,000. This year, we're probably going to be closer to 600,000. Damn thing's growing. And the reason it's growing is because people want to use it. Women want control. And uh, they can put it in hours before the sexual act so that you don't lose the spontaneity. They, they, they say that the sensation, because it's a surgical glove type material, is better. Whereas if you give, you know, latex, latex is what your mom used to use to, to wash hot, hot, hot pots and pans. So latex, really, that's what you're going to make male condoms out of. And uh, so, so, you know, a surgical glove is certainly welcomed. And, uh, and it's taken off. And, and because of that, uh, that's why our revenue in just the first three quarters of this year is about 45 million. If you do the math, you can see we're going to have a really, I mean, that's real significant money and, uh, and growing. And so we have to pay attention to our underlying business. And uh, we're thinking of ways to continue to grow it robustly. And, uh, and if we can do that, then we can keep up with the pace of as much as we can with the pace of clinical development, because, you know, clinically developing this number of clinical programs takes a lot of money. And, uh, and we've been able to, to keep up and uh, almost keep up. You know, my, the lawyers get mad when I say that. So, so we're pretty close to, you know, partly covering it, but almost covering it all. And the goal is to keep doing that because otherwise poor Harry and myself have to go and, uh, and, and, and dilute ourselves. And because we think like owners, uh, we want our shareholders to come in to benefit from the strategy. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, when you think about it, what you've been able to do with the contraceptive device and, and sort of the, the, the way in which it's grown has been remarkable. And then you take that money from the growth of that aspect of your business and fund the other aspects of your yes. business. I mean, yeah. it's a real powerful entrepreneurial story. I know that I'm sure the shareholders are very excited about what you're doing at Veru as well. And it sort of resonates for me in a big way as an entrepreneur myself. And speaking for the entrepreneurs watching the show, Dr. Steiner, you know, they're going to be listening to you. And of course, you know, to, to follow along with you is, is, is quite remarkable. You know, I'm actually following along and I'm saying to myself, wow, I'm actually following along with what he's saying. So listen, it's a very complex field that you're in, and it should yeah. be because not anybody can do it. I mean, you need to have a certain kind of mind. You have to have a certain type of background and experience that you and Harry both have. But for the younger entrepreneurs watching the show, maybe they're in startup mode. Maybe they're not as evolved as you are at Veru right now, and maybe they're hitting a pothole in the road. Maybe they're hitting something where they freeze in the frame, maybe they're hitting a wall they don't know how to get through. Maybe you could share with them some of your sort of experience. Maybe tell them, the younger entrepreneurs watching the show, what it takes to get through a tough time to come out the other side in a powerful way. Well, there's so many things that come to mind, okay? So I'll start out by saying that it starts with passion. So all that we're doing is because of the initial passion to get important drugs 
uh, to, to women and men that need them and to really understand the field so that if there's unmet medical needs, you can make a difference. If you can make a difference, then you're, I mean, you become incredibly, incredibly passionate. But let me make it very clear. You have to be resilient and you have to be, you have to persevere. It's never a straight line. It never is. There are always potholes. I mean, just unbelievable. And, uh, and to be able to keep that in mind. So when you have those bad days, just recognize again what your final mission is. Recognize that it's not a straight line. Anybody who's been successful always had failures. You build on those failures. The failures are informative. Don't, don't sweep them under the rug. They teach you something, learn from it, use it as an opportunity. So what I can tell, to, tell an entrepreneur is, one, is always think outside the box. Two, don't try to, you know, do this herd mentality. And, and unfortunately, in, 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 in our field, for example, there's a lot of herd mentality where people jump on a bandwagon. And you've seen this with investments and they call it a bubble or whatever. Stay with the fundamentals. Be boring. <laughs> keep your eye on the ball. And it kind of works out. And we were told we had a very complicated business model and we should think about, you know, making it simple. You have to understand in this world, uh, when people invest in you, you're not the only investment. So they, they have 10 or 12 or 15 investments to make it. They have a great year. In our situation, if we don't make it, we have a bad year. We don't have 10 to 12 investments. So it's very, very important for this to work. We're like pioneers. Once you get started and you're heading to the West Coast, you're going to make it to the West Coast. You have, there's no way to turn back. So I think you have to live and breathe and feel that way uh, in order to, to, to advance uh, your passion. I love it, Dr. Steiner. Of course, you only cut out a certain amount of time for me today, and I really appreciate it. But here's an interesting story. About 10, 12 years ago, my sister was diagnosed with lung cancer, and mm. she passed away. Uh. And about seven, eight years after she had passed away, I was at a restaurant, I was talking to a gentleman who was an expert in the field. And he started asking me some questions about my, about my sister. And I told him the type of cancer that she had and how long it took for her to pass away and the types of treatments that she had taken. And he said to me, he said, Andy, or he said, Jake, you know what? If your sister was alive today and she would have had that same cancer today, we could have kept her going for a long, long, long time. And, you know, she might not have even died of that cancer, that lung cancer that she had. And when I think about that story and I think about what you and Harry are doing at Veru, sort of the same thing comes to mind. I'm hoping that these same types of conversations with people with breast, uh, breast cancer and prostate cancer, that same type of conversation will happen a few years down the road with the help of Veru and what you're doing uh, at the company with all the great people and the biopharmaceutical advancements that you're making. I just wanted to take a minute to thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but being a leader in the field, being a pioneer in the field, and really putting us all in a place where, you know, down the road, we're going to be able to be very thankful that you and your team and Veru are around to help so many people with prostate cancer and breast cancer. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. It was, I, I enjoyed our discussion. 